BP added more than $70 billion to the U.S. economy in 2022 by making investments from coast to coast. Investments like building charging hubs for fleets of electric buses in California and starting up new infrastructure in the Gulf of Mexico. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Welcome back to Mood with Lauren Elizabeth. I'm Lauren Elizabeth. And today for our current mood combo, I am going to be joined by Ellen Vora, MD. She is an acclaimed holistic psychiatrist, and she just released her new book, The Anatomy of Anxiety. It's a practical and informative guide that fully explains the origins of anxiety and offers tactical advice on how we can heal and grow from it. It's such a timely topic given the stressors of our modern world, and we have such an amazing conversation. She is so sweet and so kind, and I love her approach to anxiety. I love just how she really breaks it down. She's so clear and she's really going to give us some incredibly useful insight into what anxiety really is and how we can deal with it. It honestly was a mood booster for me this week, but we'll get into that. First, why don't we do best mood and worst mood of the week? My best mood this week was just feeling okay and allowing myself to feel okay. I think it's so hard to be in a place where you're actually happy and fine and you've experienced so much anxiety and depression and all of these things in your life. So when you do feel okay, you're very confused. And it's taken me a long time to learn to be okay with being okay and be okay with not being okay. And it's so amazing when you can find like these little moments of joy and just like really relish in them. I literally was just kind of like in such a good mood, like best mood, just so excited, just so happy because I felt like I wasn't going to let anxiety just get in the way and ruin it when there's things right in front of me that are great. And I'm not going to lie, kind of like I just said in the intro, it really helped talking to Ellen on the current mood combo because it really helped me realize and think to myself, you guys know that I really relate to this like logical learning about anxiety and being able to name it and understand it so that when it kind of comes in and happens, I have a better understanding of how to deal with it. And so I feel as though there were moments where I wasn't feeling 100% just getting overwhelmed and stressed. And instead of piling it on, making it worse, making it bigger, I really kind of was able to look at it a little bit differently after our current mood combo today. And after I kind of did that and just kept focusing on the good things, not letting everything turn into a horrible thing, it really just helped me be okay. And allowing myself to be okay created moments of joy for me in my life and excitement. And it's also obviously scary. I've definitely talked about this with you guys before, but it's definitely scary when you experience those moments of joy and you're like, oh no, they're fleeting or oh my gosh, like they're going to go away. I think that's where the okay part comes in because you don't have to be happy all the time. You don't have to have moments of joy 
every single moment. That would be crazy. So really kind of allowing myself to look at things from an okay perspective and allow myself to enjoy the present moment and make the best of it or remind myself, not, you know, shaming myself of, oh, things could be worse. No, that's stupid. They could always be worse. Like it's not a competition with yourself, with others, but reminding myself that things are okay and I'm okay. Everything's going to be okay. Be okay with being okay. You don't have to make it a big thing. You don't have to go down a rabbit hole. You don't have to freak out because sometimes you're going to. Sometimes it's just going to happen. Life's going to throw you a shitstorm. So kind of in those moments of realizing that like it's really not that bad. I think I actually am okay. Let's not make this bigger. Was so much more enjoyable. Really just cutting through the bullshit of anxiety this week and even just kind of when I was, you know, looking at my week and kind of getting stressed about certain things, realizing that it was just stress. Like it wasn't even anxiety. It was just normal human healthy stress. I didn't have to make it worse. So that was definitely kind of best mood for me this week because I was able to find more moments of joy even alone with others just all around and it was really such a great best mood and not letting it scare me. Not being okay and freaking out that I'm okay because something's going to happen. Just being okay. And then my worst mood this week was obviously the stressors of it all. Because literally just adulting fucking blows. I don't know how else to say it, but being an adult is a load of bullshit. I'm so over it. It is so rude. And it is not fair. (sighs) I'm just saying. Okay? Like, it's literally just classic, like, first world fucking problems, stupid adulting stuff. Like, do I want to figure out a credit card? No. Do I want to figure out travel? No. Do I want to figure out moving a decade of furniture and clothing and items across the country? No. Do I want to figure out how to sell a car and where the title is and call the DMV? No. That's not even half of the stupid shit that I had to do this week. And it's just stuff like that, that it's literally like a full-time job, but we all have full-time jobs. So when do people expect us to learn how to do these things and get them done? It's just crazy. It is absolute nonsense. I would like to be a toddler. That's all. I'd like to be a toddler. I don't want to be an adult. I don't want to do it. I don't want anything. I just want to ever, I just want to get rid of everything, get rid of the house, get rid of everything in it, get rid of the car. Like I want zero responsibilities. I don't want to be an adult. I'm boycotting it. The only thing I'll do is pay my taxes because I just don't want to go to jail. You know what I mean? It's just, it's just stupid shit, you guys. And you know what? That's why I'm saying like, we're not complaining. Well, no, we did, we did just complain, but like sometimes you just got to like let it out. Okay. Like, it's gone. It's out. Okay. Even yesterday I ordered all this like furniture from Amazon and stuff and I was building it and I was like, Oh my God, I'm like literally fucking Bob the builder over here. There's nothing she cannot do. And then of course, um, you'd think after living in so many places and buying so many pieces of furniture, you would stop being such a big, um, dumbass and know what height a bar stool is versus a counter stool. And naturally I fucked it up. It truly amazes me how dumb I am. And so I have four bar stools and they are too tall because they were supposed to be counter stools and they're not counter stools, <laughs> just fun stuff. Um, and you would, you would think Lauren go online, return them. Oh, you, I can't, uh, they're non-refundable. So here we are. I built them anyway, because God forbid I have the boxes in my tiny apartment no room for that. And you know what? I didn't let it ruin my day. Was I motherfucking pissed off? Because that among other things, that was supposed to be the highlight of my day yesterday. You know, I was like, oh my God, at least I have bar stools. I have to do all this adult stuff, but I have bar stools. Guess where I am right now? Sitting on the fucking floor recording this podcast. 
insane insane i'm an idiot so yes my worst mood is honestly myself because myself as an adult and i hate being an adult and having to do adult things and i want my mom to do everything for me and she won't do a single thing and that's fair on her part um however i need help you know if you get breakouts you've probably tried a lot of treatments that haven't made the difference you're looking for you may not want to take antibiotics and you're probably disappointed with harsh teenage products so finally there's glad skin a solution that supports healthy balanced skin it's a new category of skin blemish treatment that works differently than any plant-based or drug-based product you've tried before because glad skin is based on the nature of healthy skin so inflammatory blemishes you know those like they almost hurt and acne prone skin are caused by an imbalance in the skin microbiome and so what glad skin did is they developed a revolutionary protein called microbalance to restore the natural balance of the good and bad bacteria that live on the skin so it's very smart glad skin blemish gel works with that harsh ingredients so it's gentle from day one i mean do you see any pimples on my face because i sure don't they've been helping people in europe for years and they're now available in the u.s plus there's a 60-day guarantee you guys know that europe's always ahead of us right now glad skin is offering my listeners 15 percent off plus free shipping on your first order at gladskin.com mood that's gladskin.com mood for 15 percent off plus free shipping gladskin.com mood you guys are going to absolutely love it we love science we love ingredients we love clear skin go check it out for mood boosters this week there's just something about getting your shit together in the fridge department you know what i mean i've really been just getting so inspired by like tiktok and instagram reels and i know that like social media can be a dangerous place and it can be really bad for you so that's why i always say you know like clear out your feed like rejigger your algorithm and somehow i got on like anti-inflammatory gut health TikTok, and instagram and i don't like dive too far into it you know because you don't want to become obsessive you just want to boost your mood and i found some like really helpful like tips and tricks and it also just like inspired me to be a better grocery shopper because i also got on like trader joe's TikTok, which like ugh, obsessed and so what i did because i don't have a car is i just did like instacart amazon prime whole foods and i just got some like really fresh foods and i got them delivered which was just such a mood booster because i didn't have to stress i i always used to stress about like doing groceries on an app for some reason because i it's i'm just you know, i'm an old soul grocery shopper at heart i love the grocery store but i was just like okay this doesn't make sense the grocery store by me closed so i like it, it's gonna be too far and i honestly like really loved it it was such a mood booster actually just getting everything done and having all these groceries show up to my door like i even got to get a watermelon because that i couldn't carry down the street with everything else and i'm so excited to like wash all my berries cut up my watermelon and put it in little tupperwares and put it in the fridge i don't have like fridge organization or pantry organization yet but i gave myself like three things to make in the next seven days because i you know it's like very overwhelming right so i saw this one girl do like chia seeds and water i think there's something else in it maybe not i think it's just like lemon and you do like two tablespoons of chia seed she did it in like a wine glass so it's not that much water you like let it sit for like five minutes with a squeeze like of half of a lemon or a whole lemon and i guess it just kind of like resets your system i'll post it on instagram because clearly i don't know what i'm talking about anti-inflammatory and like balance and antioxidants and fiber and all that stuff so i was like oh that seems like really easy i'm not like quite yet at the place where i'm making like overnight oats or anything so like might as well drink the chia seeds but what i did do overnight was i got that sport tea you might have seen it in my vlog youtube.com love lauren elizabeth i showed you guys this like carafe and 
sport tea that I used to really, really like. I'll also post it on Instagram because it tastes really, really yummy. It has like a bunch of like nutrients and benefits in it. And I put two tea bags in the carafe, filled it up, let it sit overnight. And so now my fridge is all like organized, has all like the healthy essentials in it and has like this fresh iced tea. I love doing iced tea for summer. And then the last thing I did that was inspired by TikTok that is a mood booster that I'm going to execute was rice cakes with the almond butter and the dark chocolate and you like dip them and make like the little like cakes or whatever. So I got the ingredients for that. So I'm very excited. So I think my next mood booster, like in the next couple of weeks is going to have to be like doing an Amazon order of kind of just like storage and organizational things. But another mood booster is just like cleaning everything out. So basically what I did yesterday is I finally cleaned up my hall closet because it was just like a literally a nightmare. And so I think now that I re-signed my lease, kind of like I talked to you guys about decor last week, I'm just really purging everything and getting it in a space where I feel much more comfortable. And it's helping me kind of incorporate even more mood boosters because when it's clean and organized, I'm able to like go reach for the tea and go reach for the fresh lemon. And you know, have the grocery delivery. So it's kind of just like, it's really hard when you like are anxious and depressed to kind of like execute on those things. And so we've talked about like, when you feel like doing it, do it. I knew I didn't have the energy to like, obviously clean out my entire fucking apartment yesterday, but I just like had the thought of like, why don't you just do the hall closet? Like you have to put this in there, just like take everything out and get it over with. I was really proud of myself in a sense of like, okay, you have to do one thing at a time and you can't do everything overnight. It's kind of how we always talk about like small steps, equal great things. So it's not like, okay, take one day and clean out your entire fucking apartment and get it all done. It's like, you can do one thing at a time. So like I did the hall closet and the furniture yesterday and I did the bathroom shelves, but I was like, I can't even deal with like the rest of this and I can't deal with the pantry. I know that those are things I'm gonna do later this afternoon and then I'm gonna do some on Friday and then you know I'll have a great weekend and kind of get into organizing next week. So kind of having that plan and taking small action steps is such a mood booster because you're not procrastinating. You're getting a little bit done, even though you're not getting the whole thing done, like you are still getting a little bit done. And when you look back at your week, you're like, oh, I ended up getting it all done little by little. And it's great. Like you don't have to overstress yourself. You can slowly but surely boost your mood. This week was so short and full of just literal so much bullshit. So honestly, one of my biggest mood boosters was talking to Ellen and I'm so excited for you guys to hear from her. If you don't have time to boost your mood and like go to the grocery store and all this stuff, but you want to feel your best, you know it starts with what you eat. And Saqqara helps you live a healthy, balanced lifestyle and truly enjoy it with delicious, plant-rich, transformational nutrition that builds a foundation for living in your best body. You guys know that I'm obsessed with their clean boutique of all their bars, their nut, oh my God, their nut pouches, you guys. Oh my God, they're so good. They have this anti-inflammatory like uh, bag of nuts. I'm like literally getting hungry just thinking about it. I love, love, love their products. And if you're not someone who wants to cook or go to the grocery store or really just wants to kind of like reset, you have to go check them out. They're a wellness company anchored in food as medicine on a mission to nourish your body through the power of plants. So they're going to give you the tools you need to transform your life with their organic ready to eat meal delivery program and functional wellness essentials. Whenever I go to the package room in my building, I always see Saqqara boxes. So like go off Chicago girlies. They're nutritionally designed chef crafted breakfasts lunch and dinners are made with powerful plant-rich ingredients, helping you boost your energy, support your digestion, curb your sugar cravings, and get your skin glowing. Plus, it's all delivered right to your door, ready to eat. They also have their plant 
rich wellness essentials like I was talking about to help you create a body you love living in. So they have their best-selling metabolism super powder to the foundation, their daily supplement packs. All their products are designed to support your wellness goals anytime, anywhere. You might've seen me put the detox drops in my new mood tumbler. I just love their stuff. It's absolutely an essential. And right now, Saqqara is offering my listeners 20% off their first order when they go to saqqara.com slash mood or just enter code mood at checkout. That's Saqqara, S-A-K-A-R-A dot com slash mood to get 20% off your first order. Saqqara.com slash mood. All right, guys, let's welcome Ellen Vora, MD, the author of The Anatomy of Anxiety and just such a source of light in this world to the podcast for our current mood combo. Here she is. So how long have you been practicing, whether it's like private practice or just in general in the kind of like mental health space now? So um, I've been out of residency, so out of training for 10 years. And the whole time I've been a kind of holistic weirdo psychiatrist that those seeds were planted um, in my first week of medical school, really, when I arrived and I was like, wait a second, how are we approaching health and healing? It's all reactive. We're not preventing anything. And so I, I knew even then that I had to do things differently. That's so interesting too, because I feel like holistic kind of health has only been, let's say, quote unquote, popular in the past few years. So it's something that you noticed right away. Did you obviously gathered all the information from schooling at the time? And then were you always kind of incorporating this like more holistic approach from the get go, kind of like you said? I mean, like all things, it's always a messier story in real life. And for me, it was like two parallel crises were going on while I was in medical school. On the one hand, I felt like I was being trained to masterfully medicate my patients, but I wasn't convinced that they were walking out of my office thriving. And Mm -hmm. so I had a real feeling of disenchantment of like all of this work, all of this time, this effort, this money to go into this training. And I wasn't really sure I was all that helpful of a healer. And then in parallel with that, my own body was just falling apart. And I was like, I'm doing everything quote unquote right. Like I know how to eat and exercise. I'm a doctor, (laughs) but it was a mess. And I had polycystic ovary syndrome. I was never getting my period. I had acne and ocular migraines and joint pain. I was bloated. I pooped like once a week and I just... I would go to doctors and they'd be like, um, you're probably stressed. We're going to put you on Prozac. We'll put you on the pill and then you'll get your period. And I didn't have the vocabulary for this at the time, but something didn't sit right. I was like, I don't think the pill is going to fix this problem. And I'm the product of like 500 generations of successful reproduction. Why did it stop with me? Why am I broken? And so I suspected something wasn't right about that Band-Aid approach, but it took me years of figuring out that path really inefficiently to understand what functional medicine is and to address problems at the root rather than simply suppressing the symptoms. Not to jump ahead, but something I did want to ask you about in general, and you kind of touch on it in the book and just touched on it now, is I'd love to hear your insight in regards to the pill, because I know that there's like kind of just first seedlings of, I feel like, women online talking about going off the pill um, and, you know, having to kind of take control of their own fertility and mental health in regards to like the pill and stuff like that. So as someone that obviously is a holistic doctor and everything. I would love just like your kind of insight for people that, you know, obviously they don't necessarily want to hear it from me because I'm not a doctor, but I'd love to hear from you kind of your perspective on the pill with women. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's deeply nuanced because basically like, let's say 
overall, the pill represents in many ways women's liberation. Like women can enjoy sex for pleasure and not have to worry about whether they're going to get pregnant. And that's a really big deal. It's an increasingly big deal these days. Mm -hmm. Um, And so women's ability to control their fertility is massively important. That said, it's, it just doesn't come free. And we need an improvement in informed consent and then validating patients' very, very real justifiable concerns when they experience symptoms. So for me, I went on the pill in college and I didn't know that maybe this was going to potentially impact my mood. So I just Mm -hmm. suddenly became really weepy, depressed. Um, Some people get anxious. I didn't really get anxious, but I became really emotionally volatile. And so I was just always fragile, always on the verge of tears. And I never thought to attribute that to the pill. I just thought mm. life is suddenly really hard and weird. And um, and it was years later that I happened to go off the pill for a different reason. And then all of those symptoms went away. And I was like, wait a second. Did I just miss my college experience and spend the whole time crying just because I was on this thing that I was like, hey, it's contraception that gives me bigger boobs and clearer skin. What could go wrong? And I didn't <laughs> understand that it, it has the potential for side effects. And when I was going in to complain to my gynecologist, like, yeah, I'm feeling depressed. I'm crying every day. Her solution was, let's start you on Paxil rather than, hmm, you're on this medication that can, that does have the potential to impact your mood. And there's a lot of medical gaslighting that happens with this. For decades, women were complaining that the pill was affecting their mood, their anxiety levels, and they were being dismissed. And people were saying, well, there's no evidence for that. And absence of evidence is not the evidence of absence, and it's understandable why this wouldn't be studied. And so basically, now we have the data that shows that exogenous hormones like the pill do track with changes in mood and anxiety levels. So only now are we validating decades of women going in and complaining, but their doctors, rather than saying, huh, maybe that is causing this, we're saying no. And then that's even more infuriating because then you're just thinking like, well, it's not the pill. What am I crazy? And, um, and I think the last thing here is just a recognition that we don't have perfect solutions when it comes to contraception. So it depends on your life phase and your relationship status and what works for your body. So for some people, the lesser of all the evils is a copper IUD. For some people, it can be the using condoms. And for me, I'm at a phase in my life where I use fertility awareness method, which I actually really love because it gets me in tune with my body. Um, but it does have the risk of if you're not doing it meticulously, you can have an unwanted pregnancy. So very long answer, but the pill, we need to be talking about it so much more. People are just starting to talk about it. And instinctively, I started figuring it out like a year ago because I was off birth control. And then I was like, oh, okay, like I'm getting back into the dating game and I go back on it. And two weeks later, I was like, I am miserable. And the only thing I've changed is the pill. I was like, see you later. Like we will figure something else out because it's just my mental health is just too fragile and important to me to, you know, kind of outweigh it with birth control. But obviously, like you said, like it's a completely personal and a very, very case by case, depending on what phase of your life you're in. And so now that you know that I'm completely mentally fragile, let's talk about anxiety <laughs> and your new book, The Anatomy of Anxiety, which I just have to say is the most thorough and like every base ground covered book I've ever seen about anxiety. Like 
insane. I was just thinking because like you're like, can you give me a couple of thoughts on the pill? And I give you like a 20 minute lecture, like TED talk about the pill. So the book like, makes sense. The book makes sense. It checks out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> definitely checks out but you did break it down into like the three parts which is it's not all in your head false anxiety and true anxiety for like the bigger kind of broader strokes of it and I'm sure a lot of people have read it by this point but I did want to kind of talk through like the main parts of that anatomy of anxiety with you to you know get those people who maybe haven't gone and read it yet to kind of get that top line version of it so I guess we can kind of start with like it's not all in your head right yeah Yeah, so that's the central thesis of the book is that I've observed in the 10 years of practice and my 10 years of training that we are not thinking about mental health correctly we're really focused on it as a genetic chemical imbalance Um, which has validity to it. Genes absolutely matter, but they're really only ever a predisposition. They're not a destiny. It's not a fixed trait. And we're thinking about mental health from the neck up. We're saying, what's going on with the brain chemistry? Overlooking the fact that sometimes our changes in our brain chemistry are a downstream effect of some other state of imbalance elsewhere in the body. And so it's really time for us to expand our understanding of mental health. It's not our genetic destiny, and it's not just... We don't just want to target it distally in the brain. We want to think more proximally. We want to think upstream. What is causing these changes in brain chemistry? And often it's two main categories. One is some state of physical imbalance in the body. Maybe it's a blood sugar crash. Maybe we're inflamed. Maybe we're chronically sleep deprived from mouth breathing. Uh, Maybe we're micronutrient deficient. Maybe we're on the pill and it impacts our hormones and it impacts our mood. So there's so many potential physical root causes to look at and address. And then sometimes when you address those root causes, you're not even depressed or anxious anymore. And then there's also our unmet psycho-spiritual needs acknowledging that as human beings, we just have certain fundamental needs for community, connection to nature, a feeling of some kind of meaning or purpose in our lives. And modern life makes it pretty tough to get those needs met. But we can't overlook that. My training did not focus on these things at all. We're like squeamish about these things in medical practice. But I realized I was doing my patients a disservice by not bringing up these questions and making sure that we're, we're kind of taking steps to make sure that we're getting our needs met. And so just acknowledging that mental health is so much broader, the determinants of it go well beyond our genes. And the genes, that's the part we don't really control, but all of these environmental factors, that's where we have some control. So I find this to be a much more empowering and hopeful message about mental health. You know, you always hear like, go outside for a walk and drink water and get better sleep. And, you know, sometimes you you see those things so simply. And when you look at yourself and your own problems, you're like, well, if I just do those three things, like it's not going to take away this impending doom and fear and my financial worries and relationships and stuff. So it's like, how do you even kind of start to approach on this broader scale? Because now, you know, you're writing a book to all these people that you're not going to have as patients on a regular basis. Like, how do you really start to even look inward and think, oh, it is my gut or it is inflammation. Like it is X, Y, and Z. Because it, to me, I'm like, oh, it's so overwhelming. It could be a million things. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. Like physically even. I love the way you phrase this. I haven't thought about it in this way before, but to sort of on the spot, come up with an analogy. Like if someone handed you a pair of sunglasses that were you know, pink tinted and you put them on, you're viewing everything pink, everything through Mm -hmm. pink tinted lenses and it it colors your view of the world. 
And the thing about the brain, it's a physical organ. It's a piece of flesh like any other organ in the body. And when it's out of balance, that directly impacts our mental health. And the thing about telling somebody like, just take a walk for your mental health, or if you've ever called out someone who's like hangry and you're like, you know, you're like, but you're just hungry right now. That's why you're irritable. And someone gets really irate. They're like, well, that feels really invalidating. I'm angry about right. the very real thing right now. My, my perspective is valid. And it's like, yes, yes, your perspective is totally valid. And you're hungry right now. So you're being crazy. <laughs> and so I think that what's happening when we say like, take a walk for your mental health, it's totally true, but it feels out of proportion to the feeling in our gut mm. of like how bad things are. We're viewing everything through our brain that is physically out of balance. We're viewing everything through that, those tinted lenses. Things feel really heavy, really dark, um, really big. And so to say like, just take a walk or have a snack feels out of proportion to that. We're like, well, that's, mm. that's so insulting. Cause like, I'm worried about, you know, the planet barreling towards certain destruction and like these deep seated things. And all of those things are valid, but we have no resilience when we're physically out of balance. So what we actually want to do is take that walk and keep our blood sugar stable and get good sleep on a consistent basis so that we can look at what's going on with the planet or the world and be like, okay, this is a big problem, but I have the reserves to take steps to address it. It's time for a break, okay? Not just in the podcast, but like in real life. This is technically an ad break, but my partners at Calm want you to focus on yourself for a moment. Take a deep breath and let it out. Relax wherever you're holding tension, whether it's your shoulders, your jaws, like your chest. Just take a deep breath. It's really important to tune in and recenter, and Calm can help. I'm partnering with Calm, the number one mental wellness app, to give you the tools that improve the way you feel. Reduce stress and anxiety through guided meditation, improve focus with curated music tracks, and rest and recharge with Calm's imaginative sleep stories for children and adults. There's even new daily movement sessions designed to relax your body and uplift your mind. So if you go to calm.com slash Lauren, you'll get a special offer for 40% off of a Calm premium subscription and new content is added every week. Over a hundred million people around the world use Calm to take care of their minds. Calm is ready to help you stress less, sleep more, and live a happier, healthier life. I love Calm because it is the only thing that actually is not intimidating and can get me in a relaxation state. And the app is just so user-friendly because there's also so many things to choose from, whether you're like wanting to get into meditation or you just want to listen to something really quick. If you have five minutes, if you have 20 minutes, it is so easy. I love doing it outside in the sun, being in nature. It is just literally the biggest mood booster ever. So for listeners of my show, Calm is offering an exclusive 40% off a Calm premium subscription at calm.com slash Lauren. That's C-A-L-M dot com slash Lauren for 40% off unlimited access to Calm's entire library. That's calm.com slash Lauren. Back to the podcast. When you say it's the proportion of it too, it really resonates because you, as someone you'd think too that like struggles with anxiety, you'd think I'd like automatically know how to give the right advice like in the moment where like I'm seeing clearly and someone else is struggling but it almost overwhelms me more because like I know how bad it feels, but I'm thinking logically. So I'm like, uh, I uh, like, how can I be supportive and validate your feelings, but also help you. And it's cause it's just, it's this completely like chaos in the brain. And it's, I mean, hard to not be in someone else's brain and, you know, really feel like how, 
heavy, the weight of whatever they're fearful of. Do you, do you mostly associate anxiety with like fear? Because I know you have like true anxiety and false anxiety, but is there a different kind of like levels or components for you when breaking down anxiety or is it all just kind of fear-based, would you say? So many different themes. Like fear is certainly a theme, uncertainty, control. I mean, it's very mm. naturally hardwired into us. Like we are here in an attempt to survive and procreate. And so it's like, yeah, I mean, anxiety is in certain ways it serves us. Um, but that's where like the false and true anxiety, I guess the way I break it down is like there's actually a lot of unnecessary anxiety that we're feeling. Mm. It's not really about survival. It's almost like the ways that modern life gets our body out of balance resembles concerns about survival from our evolutionary past, but they're not really true these days. Like when we have a blood sugar crash these days, for the most part, for most people listening right now, they're not actually at risk of starvation. They are living in the modern American food landscape where our diet is built on a foundation of refined carbohydrates and coffee drinks that are secretly milkshakes and rosé all day. So our <laughs> blood sugar is on a roller coaster and every time it crashes, it induces a stress response. And that stress response can feel synonymous with anxiety or panic. So our body's machinery is seeing that blood sugar crash and thinking, oh, fuck, like we actually might run out of food and this is a life or death issue and we can't mess around with this. So we need a stress response. We need to break down our glycogen stores. Like we need to forage for food. This is big stuff. So we feel that as a sense of urgency and panic, but we actually could just go to our kitchen and grab a snack. And so we're lucky, we're fortunate in that way, but our machinery just picks it up as a sense of dread and doom. And so I think that there's a lot of unnecessary anxiety happening because our modern life pinballs our physiology around, we're drinking strong coffee, we're chronically sleep deprived, we're doom scrolling, our blood sugar is swinging wildly. And so we're just not stable physiologically. And that's causing all of these stress responses in the body that feel like anxiety. So that it's like, doesn't even serve us anymore. But then right. true anxiety is not really something to pathologize. It's not something that we could gluten-free or decaf coffee <laughs> out of. It's like this is our inner compass nudging us to be like, wait, slow down, hold up, pay attention to this thing that's not right in your life, in your community, in the world at large. And in that respect, like, you know, I wouldn't want anyone to avoid that kind of anxiety. It's in our hard wiring, but it's it's it kind of almost speaks to a bigger purpose that we have here. It's not just survival. It's like, how do we actually shift this world from fear to love? Right. I feel like too, a lot of times that, you know, anxiety can put like masks, it mask itself in a certain way where it's, you, you know, you've heard the thing of, is it my gut or is it my anxiety? So it's kind of like, how do you even distinguish if, you know, making sure you don't believe what your anxiety is telling you, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Because yeah. if you don't have the tools and you don't have those experiences where you have maybe distinguished between those two things before, it's definitely a lot scary. So how do you even go about like naming it true or false? Great question. In my practice, we start with false anxiety. That's the low hanging fruit. You start there, you chip away at that and you kind of get this clarity because then the, the fog lifts. You're not just always in a bunch of different false moods. You have some clarity. You're well rested. You're well fed. You're, you're not like, you know, hopped up on caffeine and jittery. You're just like 
in a balanced state. And then you have the clarity to navigate and say, oh, okay, this other thing that I'm feeling is true anxiety. And it's asking mm -hmm. me, it has a call to action baked into it. It's asking me to translate this feeling of anxiety into purposeful action. The, the gut thing, though, I think is such also a really interesting question because we right now have a cultural conversation around the fact that our brain impacts our gut. We've started to appreciate that. We know that if we're stressed or anxious, that it might contribute to our IBS or we have right. nervous diarrhea before a test. Right. And what we're not yet talking about is that the communication between the brain and the gut is two-way street. It's bi-directional communication. So as much as like we might say, manage your stress so that you can have better digestion, we also want to heal our gut so that we can have better mental health. Mm. Because when our gut is out of balance, it's sending a signal up to the brain to say, feel anxious, feel uneasy. But if we can heal our gut, have a diverse ecosystem of beneficial bacteria and a healthy gut lining, then it can send a signal up to the brain. Everything is copacetic down here. Go have a great day. And so it's an easier entry point than like managing all the stress in our lives and having seven years of psychotherapy to just spend a month or two healing your gut can create a lot of better mental health relatively easily. And is healing your gut something you could genuinely do as like any person listening right now, like on your own at home? Or, I mean, I just got like a war flashback too when I had to like go in and do the food sensitivity and gut testing like years ago. And of course, I mean, shockingly, it was absolutely horrible, but it definitely seemed like this like big task that would cost a lot of money and it was uncertain even more so because this was years ago. So is this something that we can all actually just like take steps to do in our day-to-day -day life? Yeah. So it depends on kind of your genetics and your current gut health. Mm -hmm. um, in my book, I outline like here are steps you can take. There are likely culprits. We, none of us like hearing them, but it's things like yeah. gluten and dairy. Um, one that's under kind of flying under the radar are the industrially processed seed and vegetable oils. So that's mm. things like canola oil and soybean oil. And that's ubiquitous. It's in like all of our processed foods. If you're outside of the home paying money for food and you're not like at Erwan, um, it's <laughs> often cooked with canola oil. And so those are some things you can play around with eliminating um, maybe you want to take them out of your diet for about a month or six weeks and then systematically reintroduce them to see if you tolerate them or not. Vegetable oils, it's not a question of like, do you tolerate them? They're inflammatory and we want to avoid them as much as possible. Gluten and dairy are pretty individual and we all have like a slightly different place that our bodies come out in terms of how well we tolerate them. And if the facts are in and you don't tolerate them, it's contributing to poor gut health. And then there are things you can add in like bone broth and collagen, glutamine, ghee, turmeric, like all of that can be really soothing and help heal a damaged gut lining. And then probiotic foods, like fermented foods, like sauerkraut, kimchi, alongside starchy tubers, like sweet potatoes, potatoes, plantains, that can be a really good way to populate your gut with beneficial bacteria. But that's where I'm guessing you and many of your listeners are kind of like, yes, but um, <laughs> some, some of us have SIBO, small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. And when that's mm. the case, then we have sometimes a, a proliferation of bacteria in the wrong places of our guts. And then what we don't just want to keep repopulating it with probiotics or sauerkraut, then that can kind of make the problem worse. That's when you might want to work with a naturopath and have somebody actually right. understand what's going on in your gut, maybe prescribe some herbal antimicrobials 
reset the gut, and then you can take it from there. Even I remember reading one part of your book where you said like, contrary to popular belief or not popular belief, but studies, um, cause you think, I think you didn't eat meat for a while, but now you actually recommend red meat. Yeah. And I've like also started reincorporating a lot, like not like a lot more, but like compared to none more red meat in my diet as well. Cause it's, it's so hard to like keep track of all of the, you know, when, Instagram and just iPhones, it's like, there's like information coming left, right and center at you. Um, so when I read that in your book too, I was like, Oh, another thing that I was like, kind of on to, I guess. Yeah. I mean, you're very intuitive about health, right? So I didn't, I, I, I could have really benefited from my book, um, you know, so many years ago, but I mean, that's basically why I wrote it, right? I'm trying to make somebody else's messy, inefficient process of healing a little bit expedited based on my dead ends and learnings. And I think a lot of really, you know, certainly health conscious people, but also just reflective people eat some degree of plant-based or vegetarian or vegan diets. And if you're doing it for ethical reasons or environmental reasons, like I'm not here to have anybody compromise their ethics ever. That's, that's not right. the story. But if you're eating in this way because you're under the belief that this is healthier, that's where I just invite people to reconsider and do a little self-experimentation. For me, I thought I was doing the healthier choice by being a vegetarian and eventually a vegan. And I was sort of having to overlook the fact that my body kept getting more and more and more broken, the strings popping out of the machine. I wasn't getting my period. I was always cold. My hair was falling out. Oh. I had to ignore all of that. And so when I, I actually came back to meat accidentally, I was at a Greek restaurant and I ordered grape leaves, which in my experience is rice inside a grape leaf. At this restaurant, it was like beef and rice inside a grape leaf. And I didn't really know what hit me. I just took a bite and I felt like and this is going to be a reference that dates me, but I felt like Super Mario when he just gets the mushroom and I was like, vroom, 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 vroom. And I felt this energy and this chi come over my body and my body had a very deep, clear yes. It said, yes, you need this. So at that point, I started reintroducing a little bit of bone broth, a little bit of red meat, a little bit of chicken stock and chicken soup. And I kept seeing benefits in my health. And that led me to start using this in my practice and just have the conversation with patients. And when it was a question of they were eating vegetarian or vegan for health reasons, it's not like you have to become a carnivore, but it's just maybe we don't need to be so all or nothing about it. Maybe it's reintroducing it a little bit and reconnecting to intuitive relationships to what is our body craving. Sometimes we crave a whole bunch of vegetables, but sometimes we crave red meat and potatoes. And there's no wrong craving. You know, we've gotten so mixed up with our clean food and right. all of this. And it's like, to me, the, the more useful compass is real food versus fake food. If your body is craving a real food, go forth. Try to scratch that itch. And if your body is like, you know what I really need right now is pizza, then I, I know in my body right now that's a drug craving. That is something where I need a hit of that gluteomorphin and the quesomorphin and the sugar from pizza and the nostalgia from pizza. And it's really on a deeper layer, my body communicating, we need connection. You know, I have a deeper oh, wow. need in that moment. I need to feel loved or heard or understood or hugged. And that's what I, you know, think I want when I want pizza. That's so interesting because sometimes I know that it's going to make me feel like crap eating the pizza but it's literally that moment where I'm like by myself getting Sunday scaries and I want to feel cozy and I want to feel safe and I want to feel calm so hearing it like that 
I feel like is just at least a good reminder to think like, okay, what am I like really craving too? Because sometimes like logically thinking about it and like sometimes like I'm Italian, like I'm going to want the pizza, but I'm not going to be perfect. But it is interesting that definitely in some of those moments, it's definitely craving like comfort, safety, connection, like family, because it's like those moments like alone on a Sunday, tomorrow's Monday. I get bad Sunday scaries. I do, which I know you touch on in the book. Like, I love how you like outline so many things in the book too. And there is like literally one thing it says Sunday scaries. I was like, okay, now I'm being attacked. (laughs) (laughs) Now you're attacking. Now you're attacking me. (laughs) Definitely not meant as an attack. (laughs) I was like, how this is a personal attack. It like an invisible ink. It said for Lauren was like I know and, and but it's it's true it's like what do you say about it it's like about I don't I don't want to like try to quote you and then just butcher it well t- two quick thoughts and one is to be very clear I also eat the pizza and when I'm sort of right. discerning in a moment like you know should I do this indulgent thing the question I ask myself is like well what's the act of radical self-love in this moment and sometimes the act of radical self-love is like, you know, I'm craving pizza, but what I really need is a hug and to process something on my mind with somebody who understands me and cares about me and tries to help me be a better version of myself. And I don't want to parallels, p- paralyze my digestive tract and be bloated and uncomfortable for a week after this. And so, or for me, like a couple of days after this. And so the act of self-love is actually not the pizza sometimes. And sometimes the act of self-love is like, yeah, like this is a cozy night and this is special pizza and I want to enjoy this moment and not look back. And so you know you made the food choice that's the act of self-love if there's no hangover afterward. Like you don't look back afterward. You just say like, this is what I'm doing from a place of self-love for myself and I don't look back afterward. The Sunday scaries, it's a two-pronged thing. On the one hand, there's a lot of false anxiety that goes into Sunday scaries Mm -hmm. because everything shifts on the weekends. We drink more and stronger coffee. We drink more alcohol, which has a GABA to glutamate neurotransmitter effect that contributes to our anxiety. And we can talk more about that. We um, shift our sleep schedule. So we're sort of in social jet lag on weekends. Mm -hmm. And so we're sleeping later. We're waking up later. And um, so like all these things that contribute to false anxiety – we do more of them on the weekends. And so Sunday night rolls around and we're just sort of like this, fr- you know, pile of frayed nerves because we're hungover, we're, our blood sugar's crashing, we're overcaffeinated, we're underslept, we're shifted from our circadian rhythm and all of that. But it does also speak to like when our work is toxic and there's no perfect solutions to this, you know, but I think that it's at least just a call to action to reflect on how do we make sure that we are showing up in service, making a contribution while having our time and our efforts valued, um, while being treated like human beings. And I think that that's a really delicate balance to strike in the modern work environment. It's crazy that it is, but it is. And so um, I think Sunday Scary sometimes ask us to reflect on, on our jobs and to make sure that it's the right balance of like, we're, we're, you know, we're working for the underdog and not the bully. And we are ourselves showing up and feeling valued as humans. And it's often not the case. Yeah, I think it would be less of a Sunday scary situation if you're just absolutely so excited and full of purpose and meaning to go to your job on Monday as opposed to obviously absolutely dreading it and having so much fun over the weekend and then waking up Monday and having to like start all over again. I mean, granted, this was a holiday weekend, so it was very interesting 
having like no Sunday scaries and then waking up and it's Tuesday. I was like, whoa, like talk about like everything being out of balance. I was like, I don't even know what to do, like what I should be anxious about. Like, should I be stressed? Should I just kind of like ride this to Friday? <laughs> like it's, it's crazy. And yet so much of my life revolves around doom scrolling, comparing and despairing, being on social media. And I know you touch on it and just in a sense of like the modern world, but I, I guess what kind of like advice do you from your practice and your years of helping your clients of really trying to find that balance and connection and just actual purpose of that's going to help you from physical to mental health. And also just kind of like, you know, we, like you said, we are living in these modern worlds. Like we don't have some of a choice. Like I do have to pay my rent and everything, but what is your kind of advice for getting out of that kind of like tech addiction and compare and despair and really kind of living more intuitively for ourselves? Yeah. I mean, the phone thing is huge. And I heard it once described as um, like as if we're in an era where cars have been invented, but seatbelts yeah, seat have not yet been invented. And that's sort of what's happening right now. We have this new technology. We have this new thing that enables our lives, but it has dangers. And we do not yet have the safeties in place to allow us to interact with this new technology in a safe way. So, I mean, for yesterday, this is Memorial Day weekend, and I had the day, we set out for an outing for a whole big long day with my daughter in Central Park in New York City. We were going to be out of the house for hours and hours and hours and big adventure. And I did realize once we're on our way of the steps down into the subway, I was like, oh, I don't have my phone. Because like leaving the house with a six-year-old, you're always just like, we had to pack enough snacks. Do we have to, oh, she needs her sunglasses, whatever. So it's always a scramble. And as the mom, I'm always like packing for everybody else and never for myself. Yeah. <laughs> and so I always walk out like without shoes. And today I walked out without a phone or yesterday. And so um, the friend that I was with, she was like, you know, you might just end up like feeling really refreshed after today. So I went through the whole process of feeling naked and incapable and dependent on other people. And like, I usually do the Google mapping or, you know, let myself into the subway with my phone and, and do all these things. And I, I didn't have any of those skills, but I also was at the playground with my daughter and she was making sand muffins for like an hour. And rather than sitting there scrolling on my phone, half there and half somewhere very far away in digital land, I was just fully there the whole time. And just letting her do her thing, but observing and being there. And when she'd look up and she'd be like, you know, mama, do you want to eat a muffin? I'd be like, I was there. I wasn't like unattuned and distracted. And the end of the day, I did feel really refreshed. And I don't know exactly what to suggest because I know that the next time I go to Central Park, I'm going to bring my phone. Um, right. But I think that can I take that muscle memory of what if I have my phone for the Google Maps and to pay for my subway, but not look at it while I'm at the playground? Can I put more of those safeties in place? One thing that I have my patients do is at the very least not bring their phone into the bedroom at night. That's mm -hmm. the one boundary that I think we can all commit to is um, it doesn't stay parked on our bedside table while we sleep. We set up our charger somewhere else in our home, kiss our phone goodnight, mm, phone, I love you, I'm going to miss you, bye. And then we go into our phone-free sanctuary of a bedroom, and then we're not tempted to doom scroll. And then the blue spectrum light doesn't suppress our melatonin and disrupt our circadian rhythm. We're not seeding our unconscious with everything that's wrong in the world, in all corners of the world at all times, which makes it very hard to surrender into sleep because we don't feel safe. We feel surrounded by danger. 
And social media apps are very ingeniously designed with no natural stopping point. So we scroll endlessly. <laughs> no one has ever in the history of the world been like, oh, look, I got to the end of TikTok. Let me put my phone to the side and go to bed at this wholesome hour. So right. it's so destructive to our sleep and our mental well-being in all these ways. So at the very least, um, buy an alarm clock and set up your phone somewhere else. I was just thinking about the one time I scrolled on TikTok and it did say, um, it looks like you've been on here for a while. You should get up and go get some fresh air. Or, or it knows what time. And it goes, looks like you've been on here for a while. You should probably go to bed. And I was like, I was like, wow. You know, so at least they're like kind of trying. Are they though? So I know that it seems that way, but it reminds me of the way this alcohol and spirits industry says drink responsibly. Mm. And it's like the right. plausible deniability of like, we're not the problem. You're the problem. Like, we gave you mm. good advice. You just didn't take it. Because who, who's like, you know, look at my daughter when she's in a screen. And if you like suddenly wrench that screen from her and you're like, you're done, she will have a meltdown for 45 minutes. So like when you're in a scroll, you can't just be like, oh, look, TikTok suggested that I pause. Good idea. I mean, I, I usually don't. Yeah. yeah. Like, oh, well, <laughs> let me go meditate instead. It's like we're, we're in the scroll and it's really right. hard to change that inertia. So I wonder if they're actually doing it to more like in a PR move than in a real Holy. attempt at making us scroll less. Yeah. So then we can't like say they're doing nothing. They're like, look at this little five second video yeah. I made for your child asking them to get off. But yeah. I do, I find your perspective on anxiety in general, the anatomy of anxiety is so refreshing because it does really feel like we have control and some power over our choices, whether it's what we put in our bodies, how we're kind of addressing it. And so I guess, you know, to wrap up and before, you know, obviously get people to read the book as well if they haven't yet. But do you believe like that anxiety is something I guess we overcome or that we have control of? I mean, kind of like in your words, like what is anxiety to the person right now that is struggling with it? If especially, I mean, I'm sure they feel like they have no control. Yeah. So, I mean, it is a more hopeful view and I really cannot help but see things that way because I had this experience firsthand in my own body and then with so many of my patients at this point. But when I was eating gluten and on birth control pill and in med school, I was really unhappy. I was depressed and I, it, you know, there were fundamental human needs that I needed to get met. But most of all, it was a false mood for me. It was a false depression. And for me, for my body, getting off the pill and not eating gluten anymore got me like 70% of the way there. And so I went from being someone who identified as like, well, this is me. This is my depression. This is who I am. And it's, you know, my genetic inheritance. It's, it's how I always will be. And I looked at happy people and kind of judged them and resented them, which made for a really complicated reckoning when I was no longer depressed. But basically I, I thought, you know, this is just because I'm like smart and really see the world for what it is. And that's why I'm <laughs> depressed. And then it turns out you get off birth control pill and it's like, oh, actually things are okay. You know, there's problems, but I can handle it. And I, right. and I think that for me, just firsthand having that experience of how much our physical health impacts our mental health. It's revolutionary and it makes me so helpful or sorry, so hopeful for other people where it's like they, I just, I, I'm really almost have a compulsive need to um, play my role in reducing human suffering. And I see so much unnecessary human suffering. And this is the angle that I'm here to support is all the ways that we are unnecessarily miserable and we can make a difference. But then there's also some anxiety that we're not going to conquer, as we said earlier, that we shouldn't even be pathologizing. And that's where it kind of has to do with those of us that are wired to be more sensitive 
are here, I think, in a service capacity, almost in a prophetic capacity. And it, those of us that are really sensitive or intuitive or highly sensitive people or feelers or artists, we're here to feel what's not right. And we need the world to stop being like, you're too sensitive. And instead for the world to be like, tell me what you know, because it's these intuitive, sensitive people that are here to wake us up just in time to say, hey, problems with you know, systemic racism, hey, problems with climate change, like, hey, problems with how we're treating this community that's marginalized. We really need to be listening to our sensitive folks because they are viscerally connected to the suffering in the world and they have important insights. And so if you are that kind of person, know that we can chip away at about maybe 70% of your anxiety just by getting your physiology intact. And no shame here. It's modern life. It makes it really hard for all of us. But that remaining 30%, it's, it's your duty. And I'll be the first to validate it's a harder path, but it's a higher calling. And can you embrace that and let it fuel purposeful action? I love that so much. That was literally so beautifully said and made me instinctually feel better. And the thing that I, I think I've been talking about on the podcast, podcast lately is the ability to change and to course correct. And I love how you said, like you identified as this thing and then you chipped away at it and now you can handle a lot more of it. And I think that, you know, especially with the internet and our age group of listeners and stuff, it's really uncomfortable to see people change and grow and no longer identify with things that don't serve them, whether it's a relationship, a mental illness, environment, whatever that is. And so I do feel like this in a way too is, you know, kind of diving into this book and really looking at your anxieties and your feelings is almost this permission to change and to leave some behind and address them in a different way. So personally, I love it and I'm all about it. And I can't thank you enough for doing your part of creating this book for all of us because we're an anxious generation. Yeah, yeah. we are. I think for good reason, but I'm here to like at least help us all chip away at the unnecessary piece of it so that we can use that true anxiety to fuel a much needed global societal course correction before it's too late. Absolutely. Thank you so much for coming on the podcast. And if people obviously want to get the book and just follow you along for more tips and everything, where can they find you? Yeah. So I'm pretty active on Instagram. I'm at Ellen Vora MD. Same handle on places like Twitter and TikTok, but it's a much more embarrassing uh, presentation <laughs> over there. <laughs> you want to see a boomer on TikTok, go check it out. And then, um, and then my book, The Anatomy of Anxiety is like my whole career and all my observations distilled into um, one little bite-sized book. And I hope it can help a lot of people. Thank you guys so much for listening to this week's episode of Mood. I'm Lauren Elizabeth. Make sure to follow me everywhere. <laughs> everywhere, you guys. I mean, at Lauren Elizabeth on Instagram. Shop the new merch collection. ShopLaurenElizabeth.com. You can watch the new YouTube video. Follow at Mood with Lauren Elizabeth to boost your mood all week long until I talk to you guys next week. Bye.